Rye Smile Films presents The Neat. And now here are your hosts, Matt and Jesse. Welcome to The Neat. Today we will be discussing Fight Club starring Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, and Helena Bonham Carter. Based on the novel Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk, screenplay by Jim Oles, and directed by our buddy, David Fincher. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, finally, here Let, we are. Yeah, let's see if this fares better than Mankiewicz. <laughs> Something that's good. But welcome to Rice Smile Films bonus Patreon episode and a new slate of bonus episodes that we're titling The Neat. Maybe neat because the way Matt and I like to drink our bourbon whiskey, our rye whiskey is neat. We typically don't go with like a whiskey stone or a ice mold. We like to kind of taste the flavors of the whiskey. And today we are having Garrison Brothers. This is a Texas bourbon whiskey. And this is a special release. This is the Honeydew model. This is actually made with wildflower honey uh, infused with the whiskey. What do you think, Matt? You can taste the honey for sure. This is really sweet immediately. But not like overpowering. No, no. Yeah. It's it's subtle, but not so subtle that you can't recognize it. I'm a big fan. I had seen this bottle, but I didn't... Um, they don't buy it until they don't do it, it often. So if you see it, you should probably snag it up because it doesn't stick around long. From from what I've um, done some research on, it's real cordial and nice. I think this is um, it feels summery to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's sweet. Yeah, nice choice, Jesse. Thank this you. is a good bottle. Excellent. Well done. So the neat in how we're drinking our whiskey today, but then also the neat and kind of the way we're going to be approaching these episodes is typically we do questions and flight and nightcap questions on our regular episodes. We're going to go without that and just get right into the film. So this is kind of a raw approach to just tackling the film. And you know what? I, I'm very much looking forward to talking about this one, talking about David Fincher in a space that isn't, like we said, Mank. Mm-hmm. And to really kind of get to, you know, when he was still finding his feet as a, as a filmmaker. And I think we have a lot to talk about. So cheers. Cheers, Jesse. Are you ready? Let's kick it off. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of Fight Club. Wake up at SeaTac. SFO. LAX, you wake up at O'Hare, Dallas, Fort Worth, BWI, Pacific, Mountain, Central, lose an hour, gain an hour. Check in for that flight doesn't begin for another two hours, sir. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. You wake up at Air Harbor International. If you wake up at a different time, in a different place, could you wake up as a different person? Everywhere I travel, tiny life, single serving sugar, single serving cream, single pat of butter, the microwave cordon bleu hobby kit, shampoo conditioner combos, sample packaged mouthwash, tiny bars of soap. The people I meet on each flight, they're single serving friends. Between takeoff and landing, we have our time together. That's all we get. Sounds awful. Awful. <laughs> the monotony of just everyday life that the narrator has to go through at this job that's just so one note. His clothing is one note. His activities are one note. Uh, you can kind of see how you'd get stuck in the rigmarole of that routine where you just go completely crazy. And he is indeed suffering from that. But before we get into him as a character, I want to ask you, you know, David Fincher, before he got into filmmaking and, you know, before the disaster that was Alien 3, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is going to come up again in just a little bit mm-hmm. on the production side of this of this film, kind of cut his teeth on music videos. Yep. 
And I kind of feel that in the totality of this film, especially in the opening credit sequence of that kind of inner machinations of the brain. <laughs> and the selection of the Dust Brothers to mm, score it with, mm-hmm. right? So, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, clearly playing in that space for him. And I think it works. It has, this movie has a punk rock feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's rebellious and angsty. Yeah. And I think the selection of film or selection of music in it is very appropriate in a space he's familiar with. Why not go with what you know? Almost, I don't want to say like a grunge aesthetic, but almost a little bit, almost in like the the, the neon greens. Yeah. And <laughs> this has just been the lesson every week on the the DC films we would talk about. It's a very wet movie. This one, <laughs> it sure <laughs> it's is. Like a lot of leaking houses and 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 fluids and whatnot, blood. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to talk about that. Just the the, the credit sequences because. Fincher's always his films have very unique credit sequence. Good think of Seven and the almost experimental nature of the splicing together of body parts with and, nine inch nails. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a perfect opening credit sequence. It sets the tone for the whole movie. Perfect. Uh, there's that one, even the social network with just the melodic piano theme with Zuckerberg on the Harvard campus. And then Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which mm-hmm. is borderline like a James Bond opening credit to Immigrant Song, yeah. if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. So it's all coming from him, like his just background of uh, being this music video director. I think that's a nice approach to take your audience and make them a little uncomfortable or maybe if not uncomfortable, aware mm-hmm. of a different environment is cool because you set a tone for the film. Yeah. And I would argue that this this film keeps the tone that the opening sequence sets. Yeah. I don't think the mood deviates from that mm-hmm. sound and what that sound should look like and feel like for the audience. Yeah, when we do dabble into humor, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, there's that that sequence in the the theater with the with the porno splicing clip. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna play it later. It's probably my favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't go too far into the humor. We don't lighten it up too much by film's end. It's a pretty morose film uh, experience from beginning to end. Let's talk about our two lead characters, uh, the narrator played by Edward Norton. I don't think we've talked about Edward Norton on our podcast before. Mm. And Brad Pitt. And I don't think we've talked about him before yet either. Neither one of them playing, made it. Yeah, playing Tyler, playing Tyler Durden here. And we kind of get this. We start at the end and then work our way back from the beginning to say, how the hell did we get into this conundrum of sorts? Matt, this is going to be hilarious. You know what movie this is? instantly made me think of and then we, we got to kind of talk about just this genre's influence on this particular film it made me think of double indemnity and the way the narrator's waxing on with the gun in his mouth saying oh they taste the the, the cold steely metal he's like oh, it's this is tyler's gun and whatnot and he's like but let me not start here let me start at the beginning and i'm thinking this is fred mcmurray bleeding out talking into the tape recorder um at his insurance office this film does have a bit of a noir, a neo-noir feel to it. Um, and I think having Norton narrate it um, definitely brings more of that to the surface. Heavy narration, scenes at night, very dark, lots of use of shadows, narrator. Yeah, stock model, right, for the film noir mm-hmm. checklist that we have to have, but neo-noir. Matt, if we're not getting you know the typical film noirs that you want, like Serenity just took a dump on that idea for you, does a neo-noir kind of do enough for you to kind of bring that genre back to life a little bit? Not to like full life, but like does it like at least help suffice that urge for noir? Because mm. you can't call this like a full noir. That we're, there's, no. no one's in scamming insurance companies in this movie, but um, all the filmmaking elements of a noir can be found in, in this movie. 
it's there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does because for me and that's, that doesn't, this is not a, mm-hmm. an indictment on this film mm-hmm. either. To, to sate that desire that I have, the role of the female is so important. Yeah. Hella Bonham, Hella, Helena Bonham Carter in this film does a good job. Mm-hmm. She's not the fatale. And that piece of the film in film noir is what makes it go for me. So there's pieces and it got me thinking, this movie made me think a lot about Memento. Ooh, good. Totally different director, but it's weird the way the music and the Dust Brothers and everything that was 95 to 99 and that period of my life and film and music and things that seemed they they were going to have such staying power. Mm Mm-hmm. I know Nolan did. And we can make the case for Fincher sort of. Sure. But man, it burned really bright and hot for about four years. Yeah. Kind of like grunge. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of burned out. Yeah. How that ties back to the film noir question is, I think if it was reimagined in any marketable way that the audience would tolerate, because I don't know if a 20, 2000, 1999, 2000 audience mm-hmm. is going to stand for a redoing of film noir, Black Dahlia. Yeah. It's not going to play. Mm-hmm. And I think cell phones do a lot to undo that. Oh, of course. Right, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So that's a really long answer to the staying power of noir was kind of fleeting, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. And so is a lot of the neo-noir elements in this period that have kind of left again. What is it about that? I don't know. I, I Do you agree with that? I, I absolutely agree with that. And it's why I think he, in order to get away with those tech, those tropes of that genre, you kind of have to do it like this in this movie. You have sure. to sneak them in. And do it like like this because to me one of the big staying powers of a good film noir the ones that I like is a is a narration of, of sure. first person narrator across the board and that that carries over from the book uh, we'll talk a little bit about the book uh, but I think Norton's narration is uh, you know giving the viewer an insight into his job his occupation his mental state. And it's very much like, like, like I said, double indemnity. I like went over here, went to power insurance. Like in that one, it's the minutia of his, his daily job to, you know, get clients. And this one, it's the minutia of his horrible job on, you know, um, do we, or do we not issue a recall on these, on these, uh, auto accidents? And there's a bit more, a morality you play there too. I mean, his company is necessarily, his job isn't necessarily a good job to have if you care about the safety of people putting people in danger more so than anything. But I just wanted to talk about that. I know that's like your genre. Like that's like your kind of go-to classic film mat genre. And I was just, it was weird. Like that was like the film started gun in the mouth. He starts talking and then we cut back to the beginning and it just made me think of double indemnity. It was wild. Like I'm not sure whether it was Bogdanovich or James Elroy that said this, mm. but the best description of the protagonist in noir, otherwise film or Neo Mm -hmm. was a hard boiled motherfucker. Yeah. Walter Neff clearly is that. Mm -hmm. And I think the cynical or clever doing quotes, quotes around clever nature that is Edward Norton in this also present that think about his job Mm -hmm. on the plane early on. We see him explaining the equation that allows a car to be recalled fully knowing 
that the car is defective and the brakes are going to go out after a thousand miles or the seats aren't installed properly. And all of those things end up in the demise. And if the cost is more than the equation, they don't issue it. So you have a great start Mm -hmm. stuck in the just rote daily repetition of this meaningless job in not an office spacey kind of way, but kind of in a little bit, a little bit, but sort of the movie um, was the same year as this one rougher. Yeah. The narrative element and this idea that there is this narration that is omniscient tends to lean towards fate is going to intervene. Mm-hmm. And we know it is, and you know how they did it because you set it up. Mm-hmm. We open up with a gun in its mouth. Yeah. So that's where we're going to get to. Fate is going to take us to that point or story, whatever you want to call it. They work in the same manner here. Mm-hmm. So can you do it in a way that Sunset Boulevardy or Double Indemnity, how do we get to this point? Sure. And sure enough, away we go. So- as much as it's not film noir, yeah, typically, yeah, not typical, certainly is. Sure, yes. okay, excellent. To hear the full bonus episode on Fight Club, head to patreoncom films and join our single barrel tier to gain access to more bonus episodes, including exclusive watch along commentary episodes. You may also access directly from the link in our show notes. So sign up so you don't miss out. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>